Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. I want to look at one more idea in Psalm 119, and that's the concept of meditation. It's a word that appears many times in this psalm. It appears more times in this psalm than any other book in the Bible. Ethan Cross, who is an experimental psychologist and neuroscientist at the University of Michigan, recently wrote a book called Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters, and how to harness it. Now, that's obviously you know trying to promote the book. But he does research on the silent conversations people have with themselves and how that affects our lives. And you know sometimes this conversation is a compulsive rehashing of past negative events where we ruminate on things. And we, the more we ruminate on it, the more it causes negative chatter in our, in our brains that affects us negatively in our bodies, in our relationships, in our ability to move on from something. Or sometimes it's an angst-ridden imaging, imagining of the future that's, that we call, we say the word worry. That's what worry is. It's, a, it's imagining a negative future. And these are forms of chatter. These are forms of talking, or I should say, just sort of listening to ourselves And he talks about how the key to beating that kind of chatter isn't to stop talking to yourself. The challenge is to figure out how to do it more effectively because we're always going to be talking to ourselves. Thought is language. Thought is talking to ourselves. And he talks about how stress is an adaptive response. It it helps our bodies respond quickly and efficiently to potentially threatening situations, but stress stops being adaptive when it becomes chronic, when the fight or flight alarm bells uh, don't stop signaling in our brains. And he talks about how the main culprit in keeping stress active is our negative verbal stream that we constantly have chattering in our own head, our own brain. Now, it's interesting. Obviously, you can see why I was interested in this concept, because in the book, he talks about how they discovered a very powerful tool that everybody possesses, and that is our ability to imaginatively visualize. And he he says it's a a built into everybody's brain, this ability to see yourself from afar, to see yourself rather than being the victim of events Rather than seeing yourself be the passive recipient of a story, you're able to imagine almost outside yourself and to see yourself in a larger story, the fuller picture. He talks about in one of their studies what he calls them the immersers, the people who viewed events in their life always just from a first-person perspective trapped in being recipients passively of first-person things that happened to them. They get trapped in their emotions and the verbal flood that they release, the the emotions release in their brain and in their body. And he talks about how that those people tended to zero in on the hurt, adrenaline-infused 
through their bodies and they stayed in a, a mindset, a condition of anger. Uh, he says one person wrote, they felt victimized, hurt, shamed, stepped on, humiliated, underappreciated, pushed, boundaries trampled upon. And the more the immersers kept ruminating, so to speak, on their first person drama, unable to see their lives in a bigger story, unable to imagine a bigger perspective to their events, that they were continually just trapped in negative feelings. But he talks about in other studies, they discovered that the when people learned how to zoom out, they saw their situation from an outside perspective, a bigger perspective. It led people to experience less hostility and aggression and less stress and this this being dampened in emotional negativity in their brain. And like I said, the Bible's been here all along for thousands of years. The importance of talking to yourself rather than merely listening to your brain's chatter. Psalm 42 Verse 5 and 6, we looked at this in a past episode, but it, it says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Now, this is the psalmist talking to himself in the second person. So, why, my soul, are you? Now, he's talking, the you is, is me, the you is myself, but he's talking to himself in the second person. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Now, the biblical idea of soul is not just the spiritual aspect. We think of soul as purely spiritual. That wasn't the biblical view of a soul. The biblical view of a soul is both body, mind, spirit. It's the entire self. That's why there has to be a resurrection in our salvation, because our body is an integral part of who we are, an integral part of our soul. And so when the psalmist says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And then he says in the first person, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you, he says to God. So he's, he's switching voices from the, the second person, first person, because he's talking to himself first in the second person. Why are you so disturbed? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And he's speaking to himself by telling himself what to do. It's interesting, right? There's a mind that is able to speak to our brain, able to speak to ourself, even able to speak to our body. Our body is part of our soul. And is telling, he's telling his mind, his body, put your hope in God. Praise him, your Savior and your God. Actually, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. And then he says in verse 8, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Now he's just, again, ruminating in the reality of who God is. This is a form of meditation. This is the idea of speaking to my soul the truth about God, asking my soul questions about why I'm disturbed, why I'm downcast, and telling my soul to put my hope in God, 
to praise him that God is my savior. God is my God. He, the forever God is my God forever. He has committed himself to be my God. And that means he's my God forever because God is forever. And so he says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you to God. Verse eight, by day, the Lord directs his love. Now he's just imagining God by day directing his love toward him. At night, his song is within me. This rea- this poetic reality of God's presence. His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. This is meditation. This is a deep pondering of bigger truths. This is able to see ourselves in a bigger story rather than victims of passively receiving life's events. And so he says again in verse 11, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, I say all this because this is related. This is what I thought about when I was reading this book, Chatter. The difference between just the chatter that's happening in our brain that's leading us down negative paths versus learning to zoom out and see ourselves in a bigger story and to actually speak to ourselves rather than just merely listening to our chatter in our brain. So meditation, in a, it's, it's a broad word. Now, a lot of the times when we think of meditation, we're thinking of the Eastern religion concepts of meditation. You know, the Beatles went to India for three months on a meditation retreat. It's a bigger word than what is most popular in apps and things like that. But basically, meditation is focused intentional thought and trying to, in a sense, you're trying to block out the chatter in your brain. You're trying to block out all the, all the busy noise that's happening in your brain. And you're trying to focus your thought intentionally, purposefully, and using your imagination to better see reality, to, to zoom out and to speak to yourself rather than just listen to all your your chatter. And so the first time we see the word meditation in the Bible, it's interesting. It's in Genesis 24, verse 63, and it just says it's a little throwaway comment. It's inside the story of Isaac and Rebekah meeting each other for the first time. Uh, you know, Abraham sent his servant to go find a wife for Isaac, and he finds Rebekah in the land of the ancestry of of Sarah and Abraham, and the servant is bringing Rebekah back. And it just says this, it says in verse 63, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And that's that was Rebekah with the servant and, and the whole gang that was with them. Just a little, way, a little throwaway comment, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. Now, we don't have a definition of meditate, but we can kind of imagine what Isaac is doing. Isaac is going out at the sunset, and he's going out in some way to meditate, to focus intentionally his thoughts, to ponder greater reality, and the sunset is a great time to do that. 
Now it says he lifted up his eyes and saw. So whether his eyes were his head was down as part of his meditation and he just lifted it up and he saw, or whatever I don't know. Lifted up his eyes is a common phrase in the Bible, so I don't know if we should take it too literally. But it, it's a word then that appears uh, a couple times, but mostly it appears in Psalm. 119. Psalm 119, verse 27, I will meditate on your wondrous works. Verse 23, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Now, again, these are synonyms for your word. So we could say, even though princes sit plotting against me, I, your servant will meditate. I will meditate on your word. So in other words, even though there are those who are plotting against me, and these are princes, these are powerful people, even though culturally powerful people are against me, plotting against me, and have this, they're, they're going to try to harm me in some way, I will meditate on your word. I'm going to, in a sense, block out the chatter, and I'm going to focus my thoughts on a bigger picture on a greater reality, and here it's God's word. Verse 78, they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Again, that's a synonym for your word. So we would say, they have wronged me with falsehood, with false accusations, slander. But as for me, I will meditate on your word. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to block out the chatter. I'm going to block out the voices that are making me feel threatened. And instead, I'm going to intentionally focus my thoughts on pondering truths of God's word. What he says in verse 27, I will meditate on your wondrous works. I'm going to meditate on whatever comes to my mind if I'm thinking about God's wondrous works, either creation or redemption or something that is true about God in his word. Verse 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. And so here the psalmist is saying in the middle of the night, my eyes are focused. My thoughts are intentionally focused on your promise. I'm blocking out the chatter and I'm intentionally focusing my mind on your promise. So Psalm 77, verse 12, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. So one very powerful form of biblical meditation is to ruminate on pictures of God in the Bible. This has been something that has been a huge difference maker for me, is just ruminating on the pictures of God that God gives us in the Bible about who he is, something about him. So we've looked at, for example, Psalm 107, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, meditation on that verse would involve pondering, blocking out the chatter, and pondering these phrases of give thanks to the I am, to Yahweh, the I am. And you you would ponder that, the name of God, the one who's the source of all existence, the giver of all life, who inhabits eternity, who is always infinitely present with me without being any less present anywhere else. You would ponder that, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love, forever, good. 
the I am. These are all things to meditate on and to ponder. So meditation on that verse involves pondering all that in prayer, in thanksgiving, and in just ruminating on those thoughts. Another biblical idea of meditation is letting creation carry us to the bigger reality our lives are in. So instead of letting our lives be run by chatter and all the smaller storiness of our lives, a biblical form of meditation is to look at creation and have that carry us through pondering creation, reflecting on creation, seeing creation in a deeper way, reflecting mentally, focusing mentally, to mentally zoom out of our own drama and put our lives in the bigger picture of creation. So, you know, Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field or consider the birds of the air. Or Psalm 1 says, like a tree planted by streams of water. Or Proverbs says, look at the ant. Or Isaiah says, look up to the stars. These are all ways the Bible is calling us to look at nature in some way and to see ourselves in a bigger world and to reflect on the God that created it. I thought it was interesting in this book, Chatter, Ethan Cross talks about that. He says, in one particularly compelling study, the environmental psychologist Roger Ehrlich had found that patients recovering from gallbladder surgery who were assigned to a room that faced onto a small cluster of trees recovered faster from their operations, took fewer painkillers, and were judged as more emotionally resilient by the nurses caring for them than patients whose room looked out to a brick wall. Now, that you can imagine that. But it's an amazing thing to think that that was actually shown to be true, that if you could look at nature, look at a cluster of trees after your surgery, that that had a much better, better effect on needing less painkillers, recovering faster, more emotionally healthy, than somebody who had to look out the window at a brick wall. But a lot of times we let the chatter of our lives keep us looking at a brick wall. Meditation helps us in some sense to no longer look at the brick wall, but to see outside the big blue sky of a bigger world, a bigger story that our life is in. How much do you do that? Have you ever gazed up at the in what seems like the infinity of space on a clear night, just awestruck, by the absolute stillness and inconceivable vastness of space. I mean, it really is unbelievable, incomprehensible how, how big the universe is. On a clear night, go out and look up at the sky. Just the tens of thousands of stars that you can see with the naked eye are just an infinitesimal fraction of what is actually out there. And, you know, we sent this new web telescope out in space that's going to help us see even more further in the galaxy. It's going to be a million miles away from Earth, and, and you know, there's no city lights there. It's going to help us see all that we have not been able to see, and it's going to be able to see with infrared lighting as well, which is going to see galaxies that are older, farther away. But over 100 billion galaxies can already be detected with the most powerful telescopes that we have now. And each galaxy is like its own universe island with billions of stars in it. And yet what is even more awe-inspiring is the what seems like this infinity of just space itself, the depth and stillness, 
that allows all of that magnificence to be out there, to be there. Nothing could be more awe-inspiring and majestic, incomprehensible, just awe-inspiring than the vastness and stillness of space. And you begin to realize that you're not just a meaningless fragment in an alien universe, but you know somehow just going between birth and death and living your life, having a few short-lived pleasures followed by pain and ultimate death and annihilation. That's not your story. Your story is you are connected with something so vast and so immeasurable and even sacred. The God that created this universe is the one that your life is connected to because he's created every cell in your body, Psalm 139 says. You can't even begin to comprehend it, but it's something that you can meditate on. It's something that you can ponder and use your imagination to, as you see the vastness of the universe and to imagine the God that created that and the God that created every cell in your body. And it says he's intimately acquainted with all of your ways, knows all of your thoughts before you even have them, it says in Psalm 139. He is infinitely present with you, focused on you, that your very body, every cell in your body is connected to the I am who created and sustains and is infinitely present with everything in the universe. Meditation uses your imagination to place yourself in that larger reality, to zoom out instead of just being in front of a brick wall outside your room window. It could be just listening to the sound of a stream in the woods And just letting that sound of the stream do something inside of you because you're no longer just looking at a brick wall or the song of a bird at dawn or at dusk and what what that sounds like. To become aware of the things that you can see in nature, you have to be still and you have to be focused. Your mind has to get rid of the chatter, all the noise, and you have to pay attention. Meditation is a way for us to intentionally look outside and see a bigger story, a bigger picture. Meditation ponders God as your source of life and your source of joy and significance and the source of all that exists. And so imagination and meditation ponders this reality and sees your life in this bigger reality. There's a kind of bodily meditation that doesn't have to be Buddhist, doesn't have to be all the stuff that's the California Buddhism, but there's a biblical kind of bodily meditation that focuses on our body-mind connection because, remember, soul is body, mind, spirit, and it helps you experience your connection with God even at the cellular level. This kind of meditation focuses you on how your body depends upon God's life at every moment. Every cell in your body depends upon God's life at every moment, every heartbeat, every breath you take. And when you really have this kind of intentional focus, when you can get rid of the chatter, block out the noise, and focus your brain on this reality, this kind of imagery, this kind of imagination 
can bring incredible relaxation and relieve stress and anxiety and tension from your body. That affects your mind and your spirit and your mind and your spirit affect your body. And so meditation can unite all these things in a more healthy way based upon the reality of God's presence and God's promises in your life. When you think about every cell in your body, there is clearly an intelligence at work in every cell, in your, every single cell in your body, every single human cell measuring one one thousandth of an inch in diameter contains instructions with its, within its DNA that would fill 1,000 books of 600 pages each. Each cell has enough, just each individual cell has enough information instructions in its DNA that would fill a thousand books of 600 pages each. And the more we discover about DNA, the, the, the code of DNA, the more we discover about these ourselves and the genetic code in ourselves, the more we learn that the workings of the body is an incredible vast intelligence at work within each little cell. Remember, you are your body. The biblical idea of your soul is your whole body, body and spirit, mind. And so embrace your body as part of you. Paul says in Romans 8, 23, that our hope of salvation is the redemption of our bodies, that our bodies are part of who we are. So biblically guided meditation uses biblical images to see yourself in God's presence, to see every part of your body infused by God's life, by God's presence. And so think about the imagination, the imagery of Psalm 63, verses 6 through 8. He says, I remember you, David says, I remember you upon my bed. Now just think about it. He's laying down in his bed. He's meditating. I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So here's David laying on his bed and he's pondering God. He's meditating on God in the watches of the night. For he says in verse seven, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. This is all imagery. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, what he's doing here is meditating. He is using his imagination to ponder the greater reality of God's presence and God's promises. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. He's imagining himself He's just laying on God's right hand, and he, his soul, is clinging to God. He's lying in the shadow of God's wings, singing for joy. This is what he's saying he's meditating on. Meditation is feeling your body in the reality of these promises of God's presence. Meditation's feeling your body and listening to how it reveals your stresses because of misplaced fears and threats. So a lot of times our, our fears and threats are manifested in how our body's tension feels, how our body feels. If you have a thought that you're being threatened physically or psychologically, it causes the body to contract. It causes the physical body to have these chemical reactions to our emotions of fear. 
Research has shown that strong emotions are even cause changes in the biochemistry of the body. And these biochemical changes represent the physical or material aspects of emotions. How our emotions are manifesting in our body. You're not usually conscious of all this. You're not conscious of your thought patterns and emotions. It's often only through a greater awareness of your body's reactions that you can bring them into your thoughts into your awareness. You become aware of what you're thinking, what you're fearing, what you're stressed about. So if you really want to know what your mind is thinking, the body will always give you an answer. Meditation looks at your body and it looks at your emotional reactions by feeling it in your body. Usually if there's an apparent conflict between your your thoughts and your body, it's what you think is your thought might not be right. What your body is feeling is the truth of what you're thinking, not what you think what you're thinking. I think I finally got that out right. It's not the ultimate truth of who you are, but the relative truth of your state of mind about what you think who you are and what you think your life is in. So your body's always continually receiving messages from your mind. And if tension or or chronic pain in all its forms, these are all ways that your body is saying, I am under threat. Because your mind is somehow feeling under threat, even if you're not consciously aware of it. Now, I'm not talking about some Freudian unconscious thing. I'm just talking about all the noise in our lives distracts us from what we're really thinking. And we're not really aware of it until it manifests itself in our body. And we all struggle with fears. Not necessarily fears like we usually think of fear, but fear of failure or fear of being disrespected by people that we need to have respect us or fear of not standing out in some way, fear of being insignificant or fear of loss of control of situations that we want to be in control. And there's fears like that that are underlying our sense of being feeling threatened, of being in danger. And if we're not aware of them, we're just going through life, these eventually manifest in, in our bodies, chronic pain or just tension or stress or, or lack of health. And I think you can assume that virtually everyone you meet or know lives in some kind of state of fear. Remember, this is what we saw from Genesis 3, that this fear of rejection from one another and wanting to cover themselves the shame they felt from their nakedness. These are poetic pictures of the human condition and the fear of the man and woman hiding behind the tree because they, they heard God walking in the garden. Fear is going to be this underlying state that everyone is dealing with in some way. I watched the eight-hour documentary recently of Get Back, the, the Beatles recording the Let It Be album, and, and if you know me, you're not surprised that I watched that. But one of the things that really struck me was their insecurity toward one another, just the, the, the fear of rejection, the fear of not being seen as an important contributor, the fear of in some way being uh, disrespected, and their insecurity toward one another. These are the Beatles. This is undoubtedly the most influential band of four people in the history of humanity when it comes to culture and the insecurity that they still had toward one another and toward the outside world. And most people become conscious of their fears and how that's working in their psyche, so to speak, only when it starts to take one of its more visible forms in our bodies and in our relationships. And it's the most people's normal state, even though we don't know it. It's the state that you are run by this 
this fear because of our self-centered lives and because of ignoring God, our God-less mind, thinking of God less and the reality of God less and the reality of his promises less. And so that kind of mindset, this self-focused mindset is going to always be in some sense in a state of fear. It's not a state of loud pain necessarily or, or clear unhappiness, but an, an almost continuous low-level backburner unease, discontentment, boredom, nervousness, a kind of background static. And you, you may not realize it because it's so much a part of your normal life, has been so much a part of your normal living all your life. Just as if you're sitting outside and you're not aware of the continual low background noise like an air conditioner at the neighbor's house until it stops. And then when it suddenly stops, you kind of go, oh, boy, that's a relief. I didn't realize that that was such a stress. And so many people have that same kind of low background kind of unhappiness and pain in their life because of their insecurities, because of this not being aware of God's presence and God's promises and living a self-focused life instead, listening to all the chatter in our brain that is a self-centered mindset. So meditation uses your imagination to zoom out and speak to yourself the bigger reality of God's presence and God's promises. And we can do that when you when you take a moment to relax, take a moment to lay flat on a surface or sit in a chair in some way, close your eyes and and try to relax your body by feeling the weight of every part of your body falling like water. That's an image that I use a lot of times as if my body just became liquid and it's being completely supported by whatever surface I'm lying on or sitting on. And just asking yourself, what what do you feel right now? Do you feel unease? anywhere in your body and directing your attention into all the body. Is there any tension that I feel somewhere behind my neck, in my shoulders, in my gut, behind my eye sockets? I mean, it sounds silly, but that's a place where tension is held. And you just choose different parts of your body to focus your attention on one by one. And you just sort of go, you know, hands, feet, arms, legs, abdomen, chest, neck, back of the eyes, head, scalp, all these kinds of places. And you just sort of feel what's happening inside those parts as intensely as you can. You're trying to focus your attention there and get rid of all the other chatter and trying to focus there and stay with each part for, you know, 15 seconds or so. And then you let your attention kind of run through. It's kind of called a body scan. Again, these a lot of these are Buddhist, but you can do it as a Christian. Kind of run through the body uh, just sort of focusing from one section to the next, from your feet to your head and back again, or from your head to your feet and back again. And it you know doesn't have to take forever, just long enough to sort of focus and scan your body. And after that, you take a moment and feel your whole body in its totality as a single body, just going from just feeling your head and your hands and your feet and your arms and your leg all at once. And you try to hold that feeling for as long as you can, a few minutes, and just intensely be present there during that time in every cell of your body. I mean, this is an imagination, right? You can't see yourselves, but you're just sort of really focusing on your whole body. This is mentally inhabiting your your full body, your body fully, to put your attention 
on your whole body, to feel the body from within, so to speak. And then you can imagine yourself in the presence of God who gives every cell of your body life and imagine God present with you 100% in every cell of your body. And then you start to imagine biblical images. Jesus asks, why are you anxious to his disciples? Can being worried add a single day to your life, he asks. So he, in Matthew 6, 25, verse 34, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So Jesus is saying, look, meditate, look at creation. God cares for creation. Now, eventually those birds are going to die just like you're going to die. But Jesus says in Matthew 10, not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the care of your heavenly Father. So it's not like he's trying to ignore the negative. He's putting everything in the context of your heavenly Father's love for you, and your value to him. Meditation helps put us in the bigger story. It's biblically guided imagination that Jesus is using there to say, look at the, don't look at the brick wall. Look at this big world outside your window. You're much more valuable to God. You're much more important to God. God loves you so much more. And all you have to do is live for his kingdom, live inside his kingdom, and everything will be given to you. He'll take care of you. Meditation is using your imagination to see yourself, your body, and spirit in a much bigger reality of God's presence and God's promises, in a much bigger story. And it's intentionally getting rid of all the noise and chatter so that you can focus intently on that. And so in the next episode, I'm going to guide you through a time. It's going to be an episode you can play when you want to have a time of relaxation. I'm just going to guide you through a time of, of meditation, relaxation, and being aware of God's reality and being able to get rid of some of your stress and anxiety in light of the bigger picture and the bigger story your life is in. Help you zoom out and let God's promises, in a sense, zoom in and change how you're seeing your life and change the chatter in your head instead of that by listening instead to God's promises and meditating on that. So we're going to do that in the next episode. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.